I don't really feel like I'm cool enough for a little bumper video introduction like that, but uh, we just go with it, don't we? Hey, welcome. Welcome. We're glad to have you here today. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, go ahead and get there now if you would. We're going to land there in just a few minutes. I want to talk to you about a couple of other things first. Since 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 17 is where we'll be. We're talking about hope. Uh, It's the title of this series, and the truth is that you and I are going to face challenging times in our life. Uh, Challenging times are inevitable. They're going to come. You live long enough, and you're going to go through some difficult times, uh, some difficult seasons. And that's not too far stretched for some of you, uh, because right now you can say, yep, I know what that's like. Uh, I'm there. That's what I'm walking through right now. Uh, Difficult times, tough times, whatever you would call it. And, And you're looking for a breakthrough uh, you're looking out for hope. You're, you're navigating through these challenging times right now and asking the question, is there hope? You know, and when life hurts the most, is there hope? Is there something that I can turn to? Jesus never promised us that life would be easy. He never made that promise, not once. And living as a Christian does not mean that life will always fit all nice and neatly together in a package or into place. And when we get to John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus is on his way to the cross and he's ready to give his life on the cross. And right before he dies, he says these words to his disciples. Now, keep in mind, he's been teaching them for some time. He's been living as an example to them for some time, teaching them about right priorities and right way of living, keeping your eyes focused on God and a relationship with him. And Jesus says these words as he's about to close out this time on the earth with his disciples. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Now Jesus is saying, hey, you can find peace in this world. And there are two words there in that first sentence that, that are key words. And they are the words, in me. That you can find peace in this world if you are willing to remain in me, if you are willing to abide in me. It's about keeping your life focused. It's about staying in tune with the things that truly matter in this world. And Jesus made two promises. He made two promises right here. We've talked about them the last couple of weeks. The first one is this, you will have trouble. And and Jesus just says it like it is. He's made no other promise. Uh, Well, he's made plenty of promises, but he says, hey, I'm just going to tell it like it is that you will face trouble in this world. You will face tough times. Uh, If you're not going through tough times right now, they're going to come. You know, they inevitably always come. But the second promise is the one that we have to cling to. And that's when he says, but take heart. You know, Jesus is our hope. You know, that's the promise that we cling to. And when Jesus said, take heart, I don't think he kind of whispered it like, well, you just take heart. It'll be all right. And you'll get through. No, I think he spoke it with confidence. I think he spoke it with, with passion and conviction to take heart for I have overcome the world. And he hadn't gone to the cross yet, but he knew where he was going. He knew why it was that he came to this earth. And Jesus says, I have overcome the world. That no matter what you may go through, no matter what you may face, no matter what comes up against you, I have overcome the world. So stay in me. Stay focused on me. In me, you will have peace. Not staying focused on the things around you or the circumstances around you or what you achieve or or what you hope for. You know, the things, the promises that only this world can can give to you. But stay focused in me and you will have have peace. There is a way. There's a way to hope. And over the past couple of weeks, I've had the privilege of of reading some of your stories. and, And thanks for sharing those with me. And, um, and I've been able to bring a couple of those to share with you, and, and I want to share another one uh, with you today. 
some of you may know, if you've been around Genesis longer than I have, you might remember Heath and Charity Martin, and uh, good friends to many here. Well, a little over a week ago, uh, Charity's sister, Joy, died. And some of you may know that, or maybe you've been following the story on our Facebook page, but she died at 26 years of age. And I received an, an email this past week from Charity saying, hey, I'm, I've been kind of following along. I know you're speaking on hope. I'd like to share uh, uh, this letter with you. And so I asked her permission, and uh, she said, absolutely. And so I just want to share a brief portion of her letter. Charity writes, my sister's name was Joy, and uh, she's the one in the picture here in the purple I don't know what you call it. We'll just call it a dress. But uh, my sister's name was Joy. And to look at her, you would never have known what a strong, brave woman of God she was. She was young and single and a little bit shy, but she was in love with Jesus and tenacious about spreading his fame. From the time she was 14, Joy went on mission trips every year. At the time of her death, she was working for World Missions Ministries. In all, she visited and did missions work in 21 countries on five continents. She was 26 years old. She left the USA on August 5th, 2010. She was headed for Malaysia for four months and then Bangladesh for two years. She was in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, working in a refugee camp when she collapsed and was taken to the hospital. It was discovered that she had a congenital defect in her brain, which had caused bleeding. The blood had formed a huge clot, a large clot. Surgery was performed to remove it. A few hours after, she was out of surgery on August 18th at 2 a.m., her brain stem seized, and it was fatal. She wasn't just a missionary in other countries. A month ago, she led a man to Jesus in Walmart. She often said, I'm not called to just one country. I'm called to people, and people are everywhere. She had a heart especially for children and spent a good portion of her work in orphanages and schools, both overseas and in the U.S. The refugee camp where she spent her final weeks has been renamed in her honor. The orphanage she visited in Bangladesh and Bangladesh for three weeks last year where she was planning to spend another two years is naming their new dormitory the Joy Bossom Memorial Dormitory. My sister Joy was humble and she would be a little embarrassed to know that people are talking about her even today. She served faithfully and diligently and walked out the love of Jesus quietly. If the story of her life can impact anyone to tell others about Jesus then she would consider her life well spent. The Bible says that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. My sister died, and even though we are heartbroken, we believe that the seed of her death will bear fruit for the kingdom of God. It's what she always wanted, to bear fruit for Jesus. I hope that her story can inspire more people to go and serve and touch people. That would have made her happy. Bringing glory to the Lord made her so happy. On August 12th, she posted what would be her last Facebook post before her death. She said this, It's a great day to be alive. Don't blink, because the days go by so fast. So much love God has given us. Now go ahead and share it. What's unique about her life? You know, when you see a life like that and you wonder, is that person crazy? Could that be true? What makes it unique? There is something unique. And that's that Joy's life was fully focused on Jesus. And Jesus was her hope. And as her family, you know, grieves this, this devastating and very unfortunate loss, you know, what's unique about the perspective of her family, even in this most difficult and trying time and the friends who loved her, their hope too is the strength that is found in putting their hope in Jesus Christ. And, and there's no doubt that it's painful 
And this family now is anxiously looking ahead and they're looking ahead to the day when they are reunited with their daughter or their friend once again. But more importantly, they're looking ahead to the day when they will get to meet their Savior, Jesus Christ, face to face, the hope of heaven for the very first time. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. As we've been talking about hope over the last few weeks, here's kind of the big idea, the big thought for this morning, the the thread throughout this message is teaching. You can write this down if you're taking notes. In tough times, you and I need to stay focused on eternity and the hope that is ahead of me. In tough times, it is so important that you and I stay focused on the eternity and the hope that is ahead of us. Because there is a prize, there is a finish line waiting. Now, hope means that we don't get too comfortable or get satisfied with the things that are going on around us, the life on this planet. As Christians, our hope is in heaven. Our ultimate prize, the finish line of all things, is ultimately in heaven. And we've got to keep looking ahead to that very day when Jesus Christ returns to take us to be with him. Turn, if you would, or if you're already there, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. And we're going to spend some time in just two verses here today in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. Paul writes these words, and let me share them with you. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Verse 18. So we fix our eyes not what on, not on what is seen, but what is on. I have to look at it on the screen, even though I try and memorize it, because it's just such a tongue twister. But on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He wrote a number of words in the New Testament. He wrote these words here. And he wasn't the kind of guy to just throw words at a problem or as a, at a situation. Often when he spoke, he was speaking from experience, saying, hey, I went through this. Here's what I learned. Here's what I, cl- uh, what I was clinging to for hope, and I want to share these words for you now. And that's what he's doing right here. He's saying when it comes to tough times, When it comes to walking through some junk in your life when you're needing hope, you know, Paul is able to speak to us from his own reality, from his very own journey. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, just a few chapters over, verses 23 to 27, he kind of spills his guts for us a little bit. Just kind of opens it up and says, hey, here's kind of the resume. Here's my identity. Here's some of the junk that I've had to deal with in my life. Let's look at that together, beginning in verse 23. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. He says, hey, I've worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked." You know, you don't have to be a scholar to look to these passages to identify some of the words that Paul uses to describe, hey, here's my reality. Here's what I've gone through. And you could pick them out for yourself. Imprisoned, flogged, beaten with rods, stoned. Not in the way that some people understand stone today. Shipwrecked, starving, homeless, sleepless, and even naked. You know, tough times. It's been a challenging run. It's been a difficult, you know, season of events in Paul's life. Now, I know that some of you here today have a list like that. 
I mean, you've got your own list. And maybe for you, it's just one thing. It's one thing that's screaming at you that you've had to endure, you've been dealing with. Or, or maybe for you, it's a number of things. But you've got a list. And if we could go around the room, I bet we could create a really large list and some of the items would be similar. Oh, you're going through that. I didn't realize that I'm going through that too. And whether it's in the past or it's in the present, I mean, we've all got a list of sorts. Maybe for you, it's, it's, uh, it's loss of job. You know, or it's not even so much the loss of job, it's just the anxiety of what tomorrow could hold because things are constantly changing and you, you know what's happening in your industry and it's a little un- unpredictable right now. Or, or maybe for you, you're thankful that God has really helped you through and maybe transitioned you to a new opportunity or something, but in order to get there, you've spent everything. I mean, everything that you've saved up to this point in your life, it is gone. And so when you think about paying for college, for kids, or, or retirement or whatever, you have no idea how you're going to get there because it's taken every bit of what you had. You know, maybe for you it's, you know, hey, I made it to college. I'm ready to start a new semester. I don't know if I've got enough money to get through two more semesters or another year of this. You know, and so there's some anxiety that comes with that. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. I mean, you recently lost somebody in your life. It's a health problem or you know, this chronic issue in your life that you're continuously seeking answers for and there just doesn't seem to be a solution. You know, maybe your list involves a, a relational issue. Maybe it's your spouse. I mean, you guys are together, you're coexisting, but there just hasn't been peace. There hasn't been that love and it hasn't been there in a long time. You know, you've been through the junk and whether it's in the past or in the present, it's affecting the way that you live. I mean, it's either wearing you down now or creating some depression or it's creating some great anxiety for the future. Now, you may think that I have nothing of value to say to you because I don't know your story or know the details or have never been through what you're going through. But would you be willing to use your imagination this morning and suppose that maybe the Apostle Paul has and maybe even in a greater way and and could we learn from some of the encouragement that he's sharing here? If you look back to that verse, verse 17, notice that Paul says the word troubles. He says, hey, I've been through the troubles. Now, some translations use the word afflictions. Maybe that's your translation. The word here in the original language is defined as an excruciating pressure that causes great pain. And you're just like, that's it. You know, I mean, if, if anything can sum it up, that definition can sum it up. Sure, excruciating pain sounds about as close to what I've been experiencing as anything. And so that's one way, you know, that I, uh, that's one word, that's one way of describing what I'm dealing with. Well, that's where Paul has been, and that's what he's speaking about. He is speaking of these troubles that he has faced, that you and I are facing, this excruciating pressure, this great pain, you know. You know, do those words come close to what you're going through right now or what you've been through? Maybe so. So you've got troubles, and the Apostle Paul has troubles, and let's continue with what Paul is saying here. Again, in verse 17, Paul uses the, words, tr- uses the word troubles, but let's look at two other words that he uses just before that word. He says, for our light, and then he uses the word momentary. Now, the words light and momentary right here. So Paul is referring to these troubles as light. Now, maybe this immediately discredits him in your opinion. Because you look at your situation and you say, don't you dare call it light, you know? I mean, you have no idea what I've been going through or how all of these events have been adding up. He obviously doesn't know my pain. You know, he doesn't know anything that I'm talking about. But just hang with me here because this is important because look at what comes next. It it gets better or gets worse depending on how you choose to view it. He says that these troubles are light that I've experienced, that we experience. They are light, but yet they are also momentary. He calls them momentary, you know, 
momentary gives the impression that they are short-lived or that they will soon come to an end. It gives the impression that while there might be a start date, there is an expiration date. And some of you are like, amen, you know, I can't wait for that. I keep praying, you know, for some sort of solution, you know, to these troubles. These troubles are, are going to come, as Paul describes, and yet they are going to go. There's a beginning and an end to each. And what Paul wants us to understand is that it's not so much that there's a start date and an end date to your troubles, but I think the more overarching theme is that there's a purpose to your troubles. Would you be willing to go out on a limb and have enough faith to believe that right now in your life, what you're facing, that there could be an eternal reason, a greater reason or a greater explanation for what you're going through? Now, that, that, that's what Paul's getting here. You know, he says these troubles, and look at the next phrase, are achieving for us. Now, some translations say are preparing us, and, and I kind of like the sound of that a little bit better. But they are actually preparing for us. They are achieving in us something greater. Paul has a perspective here on his own troubles and our troubles that either is incredibly mature or he's just an absolute lunatic, you know, who likes to experience pain because he calls his troubles light. He calls them momentary. He never once said that they were pain. They were not painful. He doesn't say that. You know, he's never once said that they weren't difficult to bear. But he's saying, listen, in the scope of all things, in the grand scheme of all things, our troubles are light and they are momentary and they aren't without purpose. There is a point. My troubles are getting me ready for something else. Now, Ben Krause, our worship pastor, he, he, he gave me an article uh, just a couple of weeks ago knowing we were going to be speaking on this topic, on the idea of suffering. And, and Mark Buchanan, uh, as a pastor and a writer, and in his book, Hidden in Plain Sight, he explains how the book of Job describes pain and suffering and tough times with one word, a mystery. And it really is, isn't it? I mean, it really is a mystery because if you're like me, you've wondered at times, why does God allow this to happen? I mean, if he is a good God, you know, and I've put my trust in him, why does he allow this junk, you know, to come into my life? And so the book of Job describes pain and, and misery and suffering as a mystery, that there's no clear-cut theological explanation for what we go through or why we will go through it in our lifetime, you know, and, and we don't get that explanation necessarily here, but on the other side of heaven, we will. But we can gain some understanding of the junk that we go through as we search Scripture, as, as Buchanan explains. Romans 8, you know, we won't read that today. You can read that for yourself. But I'll give you kind of a paraphrase. Shed some light on the reason for pain and suffering in the world. Now, let me just give you a few sentences. Romans 8 reminds us that all creation is broken, that all creation is frustrated, that all creation is groaning. And all creation is waiting. Waiting for hope. Could those words not be more true of our world today? I mean, as you look to the news and friends that you have and people that you come into contact with who are groaning and waiting and eager for an answer from some sort of hope 
you know, to some of the problems and challenges that this world offers. Paul said, hey, it was happening, you know, in our day, and it's going to still be happening 2,000 years later. The world is waiting. The world is in desperate need of an answer to the problem of pain, and the answer is Jesus. And if you just keep reading, he keeps pointing to Jesus. And sometimes it's obvious, and sometimes it's not so obvious, but it always comes back to Jesus. And as you continue reading the article, Buchanan goes on to explain how these troubles and trials and fears we face in this life are actually preparing us for for Jesus. They keep making our heart long for jesus when we lose hope in our own abilities we are forced to look for answers people are looking for answers today and the answer is jesus and when we lose hope in our own abilities we are forced to look for answers in other places but the answer is jesus buchanan says this in regards to our troubles i've got a quote here for you here's what troubles do but what they do is sharpen our own anticipation for that day when god heals through and through what is broken And the fastest way from here to there, as much as it depends on us, is for us to live deeply and in the freedom of Christ. What do these troubles do? They sharpen our anticipation. What did the Apostle Paul say? That our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, are preparing for us, an eternal weight of glory that outweighs them all. And I like how Buchanan says it here. What is the fastest way from here to there? What is the fastest way from my problems to, to, you know, a freedom from suffering? As much as it depends on us is for us to live deeply in the freedom of Christ. Jesus said, if you remain in me, you will have peace. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Are you living deeply in Christ today? Have you even jumped into the water yet? Or has it been all shallow water with you? I mean, what does it mean for you right now to take a bold step and say, you know, I want to live deeply for Christ. Back to verse 17. Again, Paul reminds us that these troubles we are facing are preparing us. They're getting us ready. The world is broken. You and I need an answer. It's Jesus. And even in our greatest pain, I believe that God is there ready to provide us that answer in Jesus. With light and momentary, I I think one word that can kind of sum it up is that Paul is saying it's temporary. What you're going through right now in your life, the troubles that you face, they are temporary. In the grand scheme of all things, they're temporary. And at the close of this verse, he reveals to us that these temporary troubles that we face are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that outweighs, outweighs them all. An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, what does this mean? It means that no matter what you and I face this side of heaven, there is no comparison to what we will receive on the other side. That when we think about what we might achieve or endure or even suffer in this life, it doesn't even come close to comparing to the prize that when we get, that we get when we meet Jesus face to face. That if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, that you will be in eternity with him one day. And when you get there, all of the problem of the past will be insignificant to the gain that we received at the end of it all, that there is an eternal glory, as he describes us, that that awaits each of us, that is literally beyond all comparison of comparing. And, And I believe that Paul has the right perspective here on life, and that's what you and I need to get, that we need to pray that, God, would you give me the right perspective for this world, that there are priorities, that there are things to enjoy, but ultimately my hope 
and my joy comes from you. Paul is saying that if we could just get our hearts to the right place, that you and I too could discover and understand that this life is nothing compared to the life that God is preparing for us. And one day the pain of the tough times will be so insignificant that it will be completely forgotten and you and I will experience the glory. I mean, it's the party on the other side. You know, it's finishing the race. It's winning the championship. I mean, it's, it's the football team that endures camp for the sake of winning it all in the very end. You know, one day the pain will have all been worth it. And in some mysterious way, the pain will actually prepare us more to receive that glory that God wants to give to every single one of us. It's kind of like this. Men, husbands, would you agree with me that having a baby is very difficult. All right, guys, are you there with me? I mean, childbirth, I mean, we've had three babies in our house, and going through that experience of childbirth is tough. I mean, from dealing with the bags, you know, and being in charge of the camera, and getting ice chips for your wife and stuff like that. I mean, it is hard work. I mean, you've got to be on your toes in the delivery room, right? Right? Okay, my wife's not here today, so I can say that. She's out of town. Seriously. Ladies, women... You've had children, you know. Would you say that having a baby is tough work, right? Can I get an amen? All right. And, and the pregnancy all the way from the very beginning is tough work. And there's the, the weight gain. There's the bloating. You know, there's the morning sickness. And then, oh, yeah, there's that delivery thing that either maybe takes 30 minutes or 15 hours, you know, depending, you know, on a number of, of circumstances. And so you endure it all. You endure the nine months. You go through childbirth and the pain that comes with that delivery But then you hold the baby a minute after that child is born. And what does mom experience? Glory. Five minutes before that baby's born, husbands, you ask your wife if she wants to have another, she'll punch you in the face. (laughs) Five minutes after that baby's born, you bet. It's kind of what Paul is talking about here, that life is sort of like the pregnancy. There's plenty of joy, there's some hardship, and there's some real challenges that come with it. But the baby, when you hold the baby, heaven, eternity, it'll be so much sweeter. It makes everything worth it. I I like what C.S. Lewis had to say about suffering. He said, no future bliss can make up for it. They say... I'll read it exactly as it goes. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. And what C.S. Lewis is getting at here, what the Apostle Paul was talking about, what Mark Buchanan was talking about, what I'm trying to get to today is that in some mysterious way, that the pain and suffering that even we endure this side of heaven it will almost make heaven so much greater and so much more worth it when we get there one day. You know, to my friends going through tough times this morning, you know, you're here today and you're going through it. You know, the pain and suffering that you are experiencing right now will one day be a very faint memory. And I want you to know that tough times do not have to define you. They are not who you are or where you are going or what you will become. Troubles are something that you and I have to go through in order to get to our ultimate destination. And it's a matter of focus. 
You know, as we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, as we were looking at Elijah, as I pointed out in the beginning, in tough times, you and I have to stay focused on eternity. And that's what Paul's getting at in verse 18 here. He moves on. He says, so here's what we do. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul says, we have to look ahead. That when you're living your life, you've got to some way gain enough perspective that you can always look through each situation and each circumstance and say, ultimately, the end of the line, the finish line, is my time with Jesus in heaven. And how does it shape the way that I live, to, you know, to live today? We, we spend far too much time focusing on this life and the circumstances around us, which are all temporary, when we need to be looking ahead more so to what is eternal. Glory is eternal. Troubles are temporary. And so we have to look ahead, as Paul says. We've got to fix our eyes ahead. We have to look ahead. Now, how does that apply to today? You know, and how do we finish up? What does it mean to look with our eyes to look ahead? You know, when I've still got today and when I've still got tomorrow and next week and next month to potentially worry about. Well, let me just give you a few things that we end with and then we'll close. When it comes to gaining this perspective, to fix your eyes, uh, to look ahead, a few things for you. The first one is this. Just start with today. You know, I mean, if you're going through some challenging times in your life right now and you're wondering, how am I going to get through? The message is simple. Just start with today. Deal with today. Take it one day at a time. Start with today. God, God has heaven waiting for us. But until that day comes, we need right perspective. You know, and it's something you have to work at. You know, you can make a decision here in this room today that I'm going to have an eternal perspective. And that's a great decision to make. And I pray that the Holy Spirit is working in you in such a way. But as you leave this room, Satan will try and steal that away from you. There's a phone call, there's an email waiting to come your way and he's going to try and steal that away. And so what does it mean to work at this perspective? And so I just say a couple of things to you right now about your life and what it means to maintain that perspective. The first thing is this, you need to make time for God every day. You need to make time for God in your life every single day. And and that's hard to do, but it's something uh, that we all need to do. We all take it for granted, but God wants to have a relationship with you. Uh, That's what this whole thing, this is what it's all about, that God wants a relationship with you and he's made that possible through Jesus Christ. And so the question is, do you make time for God in your life? Are you currently making time, making room, giving space for God to work in your life? Are you reading your Bible? You know, are you praying? And, And you know what, I realize that that may mean on some days and on the busiest days, it might be five to 10 minutes for you. And I think God's cool with that once in a while, you know? I think he's willing to give us that space. You know, but, but what does that relationship look like as it grows, as you become more and more in need of God, you know, to, to carve out time every day to spend time with God, to read your Bible, to pray? You know, have you made a commitment to this church? Have you made a commitment to get involved with others through connection group? Are you coming prepared to worship, you know, on Sundays? Your relationship with God is the most important relationship you have in this world. It's what Jesus was talking about. It says, in me, you will have peace. If you stay in me, you will have peace if you keep growing in this relationship, this understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God. And we neglect that. I mean, I neglect it all the time. I take for granted my relationship with God. And I struggle and I suffer and I lose because of it. And I can promise you this. If you get right with God, if you invest in your relationship with God, that even in the tough times, He has promised that He will be right there, that He will guide us, that He will walk the paths of life with us and encourage us. You know, another thing is this. Going through tough times, you know, especially as we think about just dealing with today one day at a time, don't get caught up into the entire week. I mean... 
I am such an anxious person. It's so easy for me to worry about tomorrow and next week and the next month. But, but, but God wants us to worry about one day at a time because if you start worrying about tomorrow or next week or whatever, you'll panic. I mean, that's where anxiety comes from because it's unknown. We can't control it. And so that's why Jesus said, just one day at a time. Spend time with me. Get to know me. Pray. Just take it one day at a time and tomorrow will take care of itself. I mean, you and I are at our best when we just deal with today. This leads to the second thing, you know, as we think about a right perspective and what it means to look ahead, and that is let God have tomorrow. He's asked for it, and so let's let God have tomorrow. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Now, you may think, you may look at something like that and say, That's lazy. Uh, that's n- denying the reality of what's going on in your life. That's pretty passive, but it's not true. It's actually very active and maybe even more so than trying to carry it yourself. Because to cast all your anxieties on God means that you need to take an account of what it is in your life that is creating anxiety, and then you need to pray in such a way that you take it and say, God, I can't carry this myself, so I'm actually casting it on you, meaning I have to let it go. I'm not asking you to share this with me. I'm actually going to cast this anxiety all on you. And here's what it takes. It takes humility to do that. And I don't know about you, but I'm very prideful at times when it comes to my relationship with God and when it comes to casting all of my anxieties on Him because I feel like I'll do so much better if I carry them myself. But that goes in opposition to what God is asking for us. God says, I want you to cast your anxieties, you know, that you and I are trying to carry the weight of these burdens and what we need is to humble ourselves and hear the words of Jesus when He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. What does it look like for you to cast your anxieties on him? I I was reading one analogy in a book this past week where this guy described an umbrella, and it's like we all carry these umbrellas around completely, you know, wide open, and these umbrellas are really just all of our worries. They're all of our anxieties. I mean, we carry them with us each day right over our head. And God is ready to pour out on us his blessing and his provision and maybe even a way out. But we miss it because it just comes pouring down and it spills right over the top of our umbrella and we never receive it. To cast means to let it go. What do you need to let go of this morning? Maybe it's next month. Maybe you need to come to a place where you say, you know what, that belongs to God. Or just even to look at next week with your mind and with your heart and say, that's God's. Or tomorrow to say it belongs to God. The last thing is this. When it comes to gaining right perspective, looking ahead, and that is that heaven is coming. You know, freed from pain, freed from suffering. These light and momentary troubles that we face are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Fix your eyes on what is unseen, Paul says. Look ahead, focus your eyes on Jesus and what is ahead. Now I can remember as a kid laying on my bed, I played and went outside and stuff too, but I just remember once in a while trying to imagine what eternity was like. And it wasn't because I was hyper-religious or whatever, I just... I can remember it, so just bear with me. You know, but what is eternity? I mean, how do we get our minds around you know, what eternity is? Well, as a Christian, I believe that God has heaven waiting for me, that because of my relationship with God, He has eternity in heaven, that this eternal life for me has already begun. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have it as well. But it's tough to get your mind around eternity. And so how do you quantify it? Well, one example is, that, is to look at it like this. How many of you feel like that if you live to 100, you would have lived a pretty long life? right? 
pretty good deal. I mean, it's safe to say you live to 100 if you, if you get recognized on the Today Show, you know, as being 100 from Noblesville, Indiana. You know, I mean, I don't know what the guy's name, but if you've seen it before, you know what I'm talking about. You know, like, that's a pretty good life. Well, let's just suppose for a moment that eternity is 100,000 years. Now, it's longer than that, all right? It's not, it, it's not 100,000 years, but let's just suppose that it was for the sake of the illustration. It's a long time, but it's not eternity. And so if eternity is 100,000 years and your life is 100 years, no matter how difficult those 100 might be, it will only add up to one one-thousandth of your existence. I mean, it's no wonder that Paul called our troubles light and momentary because of what's awaiting us. That's the focus Paul had. He was looking ahead. And that's what gave him hope in his tough times. And that's my feeling and my belief for you this morning that while your situation might be difficult, if we could gain right perspective, if you could truly cling to hope in your life and keep your eyes fixed on the prize to look ahead to the unseen, I believe that God would show up in a way in your life and he might not completely remove the circumstance from you, but I believe that you will experience a peace that passes all understanding. The Apostle John wrote these words to Christians and the church when they were collectively facing difficult times. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. He writes, He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now I was thinking this and I hopefully won't get struck down by lightning for changing a word in Scripture, but let's just suppose for a moment that it said this. He who has the Son has hope, but he who does not have the Son of God has no hope. You see, that's the key, the beginning place, the start for hope in your life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have that hope? You have the Son of God at the center of your life. Are you looking ahead, not only to what He's offered us now, but what He's offered us in the future? Three weeks ago, 17 adults, eight students, and four children stood up in front of this church and said with their life, "Ah, Jesus is my hope. My eyes are fixed on Jesus. And we wanted to show you a little recap of that. God in heaven, we give you all of the praise and all of the thanks for life change. For 29 people baptized at Genesis Church, and God, we just pray for more. We pray, Lord, that you would open the floodgates for life change here through this community. And what a great celebration, and I just pray, God, that we would never grow tired of celebrating this change. God, I want to pray in the name of Jesus Christ for those here this morning who desperately need to hear from you. And I know that I am not capable of changing hearts, but you are. And I trust that even here this morning, you are changing hearts and lives. And for those going through difficult times today, God, would you remind us that it's so easy for us to get caught up in this life. We get too comfortable with this world and these pleasures and are seeking for satisfaction here. But God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us a a new start, a fresh perspective today. God, would you show us that we need you and we need more of you. Let us see that when we get off course. Let us see that when we lose focus. Teach us to fix our eyes on you, to look ahead, and may we never grow tired of looking ahead to the day when we get to be with Jesus forever. God, I want to pray for those in this room right now who are hurting. And maybe today some are here and they are willing to take a chance of turning their problems, of turning this issue of hopelessness 
over to you. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would meet them in their circumstances today, that you would show up at their seat and give them a peace that that passes all understanding as they seek to cast all of their anxieties completely on you. And God, I also know and believe that there are some here today who have no clue what eternity holds. And like the verse we read a moment ago, you know, if you have Christ in your life, you have life. If you don't, you don't. And so as we pray and with our heads bowed, God, I just, I ask this question for everyone here today. Do you have Jesus Christ in the center of your life? Is He the Lord of your life? It's a yes or no question. And if you don't, and God is moving in you in such a way that you realize that you don't have Him but want Him, why wait? And I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me wherever you are this morning. Say these words, Lord Jesus, take every bit of my life. God, forgive me of the sins of my past, present, and future. I need your forgiveness. I need you, God. I want Jesus in my life. And I want to celebrate being a brand new person today. God, our hope is in you. And we thank you for Jesus. And it's his name we pray.